Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today's review is of the subversive 80s slasher Sleepaway Camp, which is currently streaming on Tubi TV. Written and directed by Robert Hiltzett, Sleepaway Camp follows Angela, played by Felissa Rose, attending summer camp for the first time since being traumatized by a horrifying childhood accident. But once Angela and her cousin Ricky arrive, someone begins killing off campers. And help me weed through murder suspects as my Twitter pal Will. What's going on, man? Hey, man. How's it going? Not too bad. I was uh, excited to check this film out finally because it's one of those uh, 80s entries in the slasher genre that has definitely passed me by. But it was awesome having a chance to kind of revisit a film that, for whatever reason, it kind of had eluded me. But um, before we jump into Sleepaway Camp, a fun icebreaker that I like to do with first-time guests is ask them to recall the first horror film they remember having a profound effect on them, for uh, better or worse. So which movie was it for you? Uh, it's it's split. It's it's basically it's a tie between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the horrifying marketing for Child's Play Two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was uh, my family had rented it. I wasn't. I was like eight or nine years old, and I tried watching it by myself after uh, school one day. And I got to the point where like they walk up to the porch and you see the nest of spiders, and I like shut it off. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> and then with the child's play too i was gonna say that probably saved you from the uh the other horrors in that movie huh oh yeah definitely and then you know i saw it eventually when my teens at some point and i was like yeah i'm glad i didn't finish this because that would have <laughs> definitely scarred me as a child and then of course with child's play 2 i can't remember what channel it was on but they were marketing it at, after like a uh, nfl football game and like they had a screenshot on the side that said like Child's Play 2 right after. And it's like, it was like, it's so vivid in my memory. It was just like a picture of Chucky running down a hallway. And I remember getting so spooked that like I came up with a lame excuse to go to bed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like I wouldn't have to watch it. Those are, uh, those are two memories that definitely I can relate to. Cause for me, it was like flipping through the channels. Cause when I was like you said, seven or eight, probably I wasn't really allowed to watch those types of movies. So. I caught Texas Chainsaw Massacre on like Sci-Fi Channel or something back in the day in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And it was right at the part where he slams the door closed after hitting one of the guys in the head with the meat mallet. And I just remember that mm-hmm. sequence of him coming like out of nowhere and then slamming that door just really kind of like shook me. And I was just like, yeah, I think I'm done with Sci-Fi Channel for a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Very brutal. Yeah. And then, of course, like with Chucky, just seeing oh, yeah. the VHS poster. And I think it was... I think it was Bride of Chucky where his face gets all jacked up. And so it's all stapled together and everything. I remember seeing that in an aisle at like a Suncoast video. And that just fucking terrified me to my core. And I was like, I think I'm going to stay out of the horror aisle for a little while until I'm older. I got a good one about that, uh, specifically that cover too. Uh, My brother bought it on VHS and then he woke me up one morning and it was right there on my bedside facing me. And I was like, awesome. So, you know. Oh man, that's an excellent big brother prank. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's many like it. <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, in getting to our film that we're here to talk about today um, for Sleepaway Camp, um, in terms of my kind of like preconceived notions of what the movie was, on paper, it seems like kind of just another 80s Friday the 13th kind of clone. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, it very much is set up and I guess you can't really infer anything other than that from the marketing where it's just like, hey, it's a bunch of kids at summer camp 
somebody starts killing them. Um, but I was really pleased to find that it really defied my expectations kind of in every way um, based off of watching it. Like I watched it last night for the first time uh, and walked away really enjoying it. So I'm kind of interested, like what about the film for you separates it from other 80 slashers? Oh, it's to me, it's definitely just the like, it is like uh, partly, partly like the budget, like how cheaply produced it was. Is that like, like so much of the cast is just like extras. Like you never see yeah. the same kid twice. And I think that's <laughs> what I like about it so much is that like you get that real like gritty kind of just like this is what camp was like in the 80s. And just like with running and screaming children everywhere. That's one of the things I really like about it too. And the dialogue is just like so unfiltered. Like almost every kid is just cursing as much as they can. <laughs> Yeah, those are two aspects I really like about it. Yeah, and I think that in that familiar setup, the kind of imperfections of it, I think I came to appreciate more because it does feel very organic. And I think that that's the way that I would describe it. Like, it feels very natural. Whereas yeah. if you go and watch Friday the 13th, like, yeah, it's a great movie. But at the same time, it it feels like you're watching a movie. Whereas with this, the way yeah. the film opens you feel like you're getting off the bus at summer camp with these kids. Yeah, true, true. Um, and I really liked the way that the film opens where it gives us this tour of the summer camp and yet there's nobody playing there. There's no kids, there's no mm -hmm. counselors, but you can hear like the sounds that would go along with those activities because they've obviously closed down the camp after what happens in the course of the film. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very simplistic, but I think like you said, the imperfections of the movie are what really make it stand out. Yeah, true, true. And uh, I would agree with you that like it, well, I would classify it as like being aggressively 80s in a lot of ways, like <laughs> with the character tropes, character types, and uh, especially like the dialogue with a lot of them. Yeah, but you yeah said, definitely. You said you found that that helped you uh, appreciate the movie? Oh yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, when it comes to all those like eighties campy like horror films, it's like, that, that's what's so great about it. It was like, you know, I never really got to experience any summer camps as a kid, but I feel like even given the choice, I wouldn't just because like so much of it, like these cult classic films that follow this experience being terrifying. It's like, no wonder parents were worried all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. I think that um, the aggressiveness and kind of just the unfiltered nature of the kids themselves, like I didn't go to sleepaway summer camp either growing up. Uh, that mm -hmm. wasn't like a thing that I ever did or uh, went away and did. But it's just like it felt like it was a compartmentalizing that experience in a lot of different ways with kind mm -hmm. of like the aggressiveness of like bullying and things like that. Like I wasn't yeah, expecting true. that to be an angle that the film leaned so hard into. Um, yeah, true. Because like in not to keep comparing it to Friday the 13th, but in Friday the 13th, you have that bullying moment in the beginning with Jason, and that kickstarts the whole movie and the whole franchise. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't really kind of like focus on that for the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, it very much is about seeing how Angela is being bullied the entire time she's there. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah, just you know, just for her aspects and her you know her her mannerisms and stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of like whether I thought that some of the aggressiveness hindered the film um i think like the especially like the cook i was really really surprised by how aggressively rapey his character yeah, is yeah yeah like, right from the jump like 
yeah it's just absolutely creepy and the way they play it off is just like way too light like they, yeah. that guy talking to him should have been like way more aggressive and the other guys in the background kind of just like slightly nodding like man that like what's there's a lot going on at this camp yeah they're kind of like giving their coworker a pass on his like pedophile comments and it's just like oh yeah that's just that's just how he is and you're like wait what <laughs> Like, yeah, like this is no. major red flag and uh yeah definitely. even at, at one point uh his boss sees the kids running out of the cooler after he's just attempted to assault angela and he attacks uh ricky yeah and then his boss is like what's going on he's like oh i guess i scared him and his boss is like yeah i guess you did and that was the end of the conversation yeah. <laughs> like that was that isn't like, so a fireball his boss offense. definitely knows what he does like right yeah and i think that that speaks to uh the head counselor mel or he's the owner or he's the head counselor. But yeah, he like mm -hmm. just, he has clearly has an investment in keeping the camp open and he just True. continually like overlooks everything. So that's a good point <laughs> that you made. Uh, whether it's his yeah. cook, like being a pedophile, drinking on the job, all these different things. Yeah, just definitely does not have a moral compass at all. No. <laughs> and again, it kind of just, it caught me off guard with how aggressive it was. And I think that maybe that's, that has something to do with the unpolished, feel of the movie right i mean mm -hmm. to a certain extent the movie does kind of have these sort of like 80s trashy qualities but i feel mm -hmm. like the handling of just that scene is so over the top that i was like even for me who's like obviously watch movies now and a lot of the stuff that's in those 80s movies were kind of desensitized to i think i was just True. like so taken aback at how over the top this was and this was like a movie that was in theaters and it wasn't kind of just like this this scummy thing that only existed on VHS or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's very, yeah, you know, you talk to any horror fan, they've at least heard of it if they hadn't seen it, you know, Ma mainly for like, you know, for so many decades, it was mainly just like referred to as because of its, you know, shock ending and stuff like that. And yeah, that's one thing. It's like when, when I first saw it, like, I think it was back in 2005, my older sister's um, boyfriend had a copy. And uh, he actually had a copy where uh, with all the all four of them, but the fourth one was like only 15 minutes long, and it was like just like a little bit of like I guess just like a rare um, uh, amount of footage that was just add tacked on. But yeah, the um, that's how I first saw it, and he kind of sold it as like, a, oh, you should check this movie out. It has a really crazy ending, and I was just like, oh, it's more than that though. It's got really good skills. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, and I think that, and I mean, we'll get into a lot of the different things that we appreciate about it, but it is one of those movies that in my kind of going back and watching 70s or 80s movies that I had never seen or missed or whatever, like mm -hmm. being open-minded to them past whatever you kind of have heard about them, right? Because this was the movie yeah, where the only thing I had heard about it was like, oh yeah, it's got a crazy twist ending, but mm -hmm. I would I would recommend it even if it didn't have that crazy twist ending for True. a number of reasons. But uh, I was most surprised to learn that the cast is actually like young kids, kids that are like, like um, Felissa Rose is, was like 13 when she filmed this and a bunch of the other kids wow. were 15 or 16. And that struck yeah. me as very different because obviously in movies, again, like Friday the 13th, they're 20 year olds playing 15 year olds or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas with this movie, it's like, oh, these are actually kids. And the things that they're doing to these kids is it just gives the movie another layer of like, I was just very uncomfortable watching this for a long portion of the movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, every, every time I've seen it, I've seen it close to maybe like, you know, five or six times. And every time I watch it, I'm just like, Jesus, like, 
a lot of right. this was just too much. And it's something that I didn't really realize until I got towards the end of the movie where I was like, man, they're really just like killing like 14 and 15 year olds <laughs> for, yeah, yeah, in the context like, of the movie. And it's like when you're watching a movie and you know it's a 20 or 22 year old that's playing a 16 year old or whatever, you're like, yeah, he's an adult. But then when it's like actually a little kid playing a character that's getting killed, like it just makes the movie a lot more sadistic in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, what did you think of, I mean, generally in horror movies, one of the chief complaints from people could be like, oh, it's kid actors and they're not any good. But what did you think of kind of just the cast in general? Uh, it's, it, that's the thing with the the cast, like uh, pretty much everyone from like Ricky to even like, you know, all the other like, uh, like more jock um, like uh, guys. It's like a lot of it just some seem really natural because it's just like with their their insults and their dialogues so yeah. like a lot of it you know <laughs> some of it came off kind of brash but a lot of it was just like it just seemed like this is what they would call each other anyway like the the 80s top tier insults are just all the way there <laughs> but yeah like when it comes to the casting though i think they did a really good job especially considering so much of it was just like you know you didn't see these kids in anything else really mm-hmm. yeah exactly and again it kind of it, the imperfections that you pick up on in their dialogue, it all feels very natural and almost like it's unscripted a lot of the times. And you do feel like you are like a fly on the wall or something, or you're on the bench when everybody else is playing softball or whatever. And they're all just like, eat shit and die. And he's like, eat shit and live. Like there's a lot of those little moments that they just flow so naturally. And they're so aggressive that they sell them in a way that if this was like a 20 year old or a 22 year old, you'd be like, okay, this is like way over the top. But yeah, yeah. there's just something to the fact that like it's a kid selling it. And this is what it, it, I, I would believe that like this is what 80s kids talked like back then. Or this is how they yeah, would exactly. be if this was not like a heavily produced production, then it would be more yeah. refined. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can imagine like the insults they use and like things they film now based in the 80s aren't nearly as wild as in this movie. Like I think actually in that baseball scene before he, he tells them to eat shit and die. It's because Ricky tells the guy that he blows dead dogs. And I'm just like, I've never even heard that anywhere. Like, that's just like, they go, they don't even go like, it's just zero to 10, like at all times. And for the amount of they were trash talking in that baseball scene, the fact that they were like underhand tossing the pitches too, I was just like, they're talking way too much trash (laughs) for how they're playing. Yeah, they're, uh, they're aggro for people that are playing like underhand lob ball softball (laughs) exactly but it is again like a lot of times when i go back and revisit 80s movies because i was i was born in the 90s so i'm playing catch up again like i said for a lot of 80s movies and 70s and all of those things um i'm always trying to like figure out whether or not characters are talking like they actually would or if it is very like hollywoodized and i think that this movie definitely is one where it's like even if this wasn't a movie i feel like this is what summer camp was like. And they nail that aesthetic so well, whether it's intentional or it's a result of kind of like the limitations of this being such a low budget, a first time director, first time writer, first time producer. Um, And I mean, it's something that it's a quality to the movie that a lot of other movies have had the opportunity to kind of capitalize on. But I mean, I was really taken with how strong this film's direction is given how kind of like vanilla it sounds on paper. Yeah, true, true. But uh, in terms of the campers, did you have a favorite? 
Oh man, I, I definitely Ricky. I mean, he's just yeah. so aggressive, and like his insults <laughs> are top tier. And uh, but yeah, like uh, I think he's probably my favorite. And the mm-hmm. um, I don't, I didn't catch their names, but the the two stoner guys that like try to hit on Angela and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the one with the blue blueister cult shirt. Like, mm-hmm. they, they were just rocking those molds too good. <laughs> also, th- that brings up a funny point. Just like realize i picked up slowly just like how old some of the kids were supposed to be because they only reference them as like young campers and older campers those are two of like the older campers and they're like hitting on this younger camper who's like clearly like 13 and it's just like yeah yeah exactly it's, it's uh pretty suspect yeah there was some of that trashiness to the characters that again kind of just like kept me feeling uncomfortable throughout the movie <laughs> mm, yeah agreed <laughs> but uh yeah jonathan uh tierston who played ricky I was really impressed with just because of like how foul mouthed he was. And that was always his thing. Like he's a a little guy, but he's always kind of like the fireball in every moment where he's like standing up for uh, Angela whenever she's getting picked on or bullied and stuff. And he's trying to fight kids that are older than him. Um, Yeah. Like no matter what the size or how many there are, he's just ready to jump into action. Yeah. He's zero to a hundred always. Oh yeah. And that's what's cool about Ricky, too, is just, like, they did a really good job of making him like that. So you always think, like, oh, is he the killer? Like, he's right. just so, like, you know, high-tempered. Yeah. And it, it was funny, like, later in the film, Mel, who's the head camp leader, assumes that it is Ricky. And mm-hmm. up until that point, I was like, well, I don't think it is him. But then I guess, yeah, you could assume, and Mel is even justified in seeing, like, how short of a temper Ricky has. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a perfect way for them to kind of deceive the audience or subvert their expectations on who the killer could be. Because then once we have that reveal in the end of the movie, you're like, oh, I was so focused on that character. And then the answer was like sitting right there in front of me. But uh, it was was funny to learn that that actor, Jonathan Tierston, he got the role based off of the director asking him to just like cuss him out in an interview. Or in a uh, audition. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like, just rip me up in this interview, and if you do a good job, then the part's yours. Oh, man. I imagine that was a really fun set to work on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they said that, like, at a certain point in the film, they had, like, extras that were older than the kids come in mm-hmm. that were supposed to play, like, older campers, and then they would just go party with, like, these older girls and stuff from it to the point where they had to, like, shut down production one day or something because they had to uh reel in some of the cast members that were having i think a little too much fun <laughs> too much of a good time yeah it's great but also um felissa rose who plays angela i think does a really good job again like it's a very subtle movie and there's some performances that are very subtle in it hers being the chief one i think in that like she doesn't have a lot of dialogue she kind of just sits there and stares at people with those big <laughs> yeah, eyes yeah. of hers and it is very very uncomfortable to watch yeah it's it's because she's like because she looks so innocent and then she's just like staring at you hardcore it's Mm -hmm. terrifying yeah it is really really terrifying and it i think again it's an example of like simplicity is what i think makes this movie is so many simple parts that when they come together it makes something that it it seems very like effortless in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like the movie doesn't have a lot of big kind of like big budget moments we'll get into like some of the kills in a couple minutes that i think are really good but i mean overall the movie is just very kind of low-key and subtle in the way that it carries itself and i think that that is what is really key to 
it's standing out from a lot of like camp slasher movies. It doesn't try to do too much or it doesn't try to overextend itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, true. Like it's, it really is unique in its own way. Absolutely. Um, but what really surprised me was that Hiltzik did such a good job of kind of like establishing the motivation behind why characters are getting killed. And again, it's, it's very simple. And yet that buildup, I feel like it didn't have to be there and it isn't there in a lot of like 80 slasher movies. Like they were like, oh, this is a counselor. They're going to get murdered. Whereas he takes the time to kind of just establish their wrongdoing or the yeah. uh, the twisted justification for them getting murdered. True. And it doesn't go to great lengths to do it, but he does take the time to do it. And I think it has a really good payoff. Yeah, true. It's like considering he was doing a whodunit, but if he was still following how like these people were getting like killed off, like in a sense of revenge too. So it's just like, it's kind of obvious that who's doing it, but you're still like, you don't know. It's impressive. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, each of those characters, like you said, you don't see most of the characters more than kids more than once because they're all extras or they're like, I think the extras were even like family members of the cast and crew and stuff. (laughs) But um, I feel like for the kids to get murdered, like they stand out and they very clearly kind of like define themselves from the group that it never kind of feels like counselor one counselor two counselor three it's kind of like oh yeah this is that guy he's a dickhead for this reason he's got a mullet and um, a band shirt and then you've got the two counselors that are conspiring and i mean it it's very clear cut each of their personalities and again like yeah it's a camp counselor who's the stoner dickhead it's one of the girls that is jealous but then at the same time like he takes the time to establish that in a way that i think it just it makes the movie more interesting leading up to the kills but also it just gives the kills more weight to them, I think. But uh, what did you think of the film's kills? Because this is definitely one of the aspects of the film that I think kind of really does separate it from its clonish image of a lot of 80 slashers. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like the just the budget alone they used like for the makeup and stuff. Like it made every kill just like seem like the, the for instance the bee kill. Like when the guy gets attacked by the bees, like the the way his body looks afterwards is just like oh my god, what kind of bees were those? But it's still like such a brutal kill. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that one. That's one of my favorites too, and it 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 blew me away, frankly, like the variety of kills and mm-hmm. the amount of um. Of like practical effects and the makeup and stuff that went into them just because I mean I was researching and I think the budget for this was 300 grand or 350,000 oh, wow. which was way more than I thought it would be and yeah. I was in like 40 minutes in the movie you're like where the hell did the budget go for this because this is just an empty <laughs> fucking camp everybody's an extra yeah. but then you yeah. see where the money went in each of the kills like it wasn't just somebody getting killed with a machete it wasn't somebody getting killed with a knife it wasn't like these very kind of standard slasher kills that happen Mm -hmm. in two seconds cut away and then it's over i feel like the fact that there was so much creativity in each kill whether it's that kid getting drowned which is not that out of the ordinary but then they when they show his corpse and he's all rotted and water bloated like the snake (laughs) crawls out of his mouth like little touches like that make kills that even if they're kind of like stock standard it makes them stand out in a really creative way i thought yeah for sure and that scene is specifically like how the body just looks like it's been there for days even though it's like merely hours it's like i still love it though yeah yeah that's a funny point actually you make because uh, <laughs> i mean based on how shitty all the counselors are like 
Sure, well, I, I would. I wouldn't uh, doubt that it would take them three days to find a kid or even to realize he's missing. Because like, <laughs> yeah, they're all exactly about security right. at the end of the movie, and yet they're like the worst, like biggest bullies out of the entire camp are all the counselors, with the exception yeah, of like exactly. uh, Ronnie. Like they're the first ones to get tired of being there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're all like dying for a day off, and I think they'd been there for like three or four days or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's still like the easiest job ever, I'd assume. Yeah, and I think that going back to the bee kill that you mentioned, again, just the way that he frames that kill, like the kid gets into the bathroom stall and then kind of just like the camera lingering on his feet and then lingering up onto the locks on the stall and we see the broom gets slid through there so that he can't escape. Like, again, those are all very kind of just subtle, simple things that the way that he kind of combines it and sets it up, it makes it a lot tenser than you would kind of anticipate for a slasher. Yeah, and one thing I really like about the kills too is like, especially the guy, uh, the, the the pervert chef, when he gets splashed with the water. Like, I like how it just focuses on him for so long, like, and shows that he's screaming in pain for so long for them to like justify that, like, wheeling him out without, you know, saying who got him in that predicament. It's just like, oh, well, he's had so much hot water on him, he's going crazy. So, you know, he just he's still screaming. Like, <laughs> and again, that was a really great use of practical effects in that you see like where the money and the budget went. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah clearly like, he's got these, these sores on him and these burns on him now that are like pulsating and stuff. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, so over the top, disgusting. Yeah, and his yells were so hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> very true. But I mean, that's it. And the camera lingering on him screaming, like it's very satisfying in a kind of, dark way because it's just like oh yeah this is like some piece of shit pedophile that yeah, like almost you're, you're okay you yeah you're definitely okay with it and even though that initial introduction to that character is like very jarring very creepy very disgusting in a lot of ways at the same time like taking the time to have that moment makes the kill pay off that much more because when the when uh, the killer is like grabbing onto the chair and shaking it and they're struggling at first you're like, come on, fucking yank that chair. I want this motherfucker to get killed. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You like it when he's begging for his life. Right, exactly. <laughs> and um, also, again, kind of just like how using the camera in simple but unique ways for effect, like at one point we see it from his perspective when he like raises his arms in the air and we see one of the other yeah. cooks in the background and he's screaming and we just see him like writhing in pain with his burnt to shit hands. I mean, yeah. little moments like that, I feel like, again you it it's not like a crazy feat to achieve that shot and yet he has the foresight to be like hey if i change it up a little bit i feel like it just makes the scene that much more disturbing almost like seeing oh, yeah, it from the sure. victim's point of view yeah like you're enduring in that pain also yeah exactly i mean i was really surprised at how gruesome a lot of these kills were given and not only how gruesome they were but how long the camera lingers on them because mm -hmm. In visiting a lot of these kind of 80 slashers, uh, I'm kind of I kind of have a tendency to get on a soapbox about like the uh, the ratings boards and how they were like, oh, you can only have like three seconds of that or two seconds yeah, of that yeah. and then cut away. But this film lingers on a lot of the kills for a long time, like a lot longer than I was expecting. And yeah. I mean, it was again, it made it even more disturbing because like it's kid, it's actually like kid actors. Um, so just like having that in the back of your mind, it's like, oh yeah, that's like a 15 year old getting killed. Like <laughs> this is just elevated and how fucked up this is. <laughs> yeah. I really hope they got paid well. 
I don't know. Really I don't know, like... man. I don't think yeah, they yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> they got a free summer vacation. That's all. Yeah, that's a fair. That's very fair. Um, but yeah, even in one of the most gruesome scenes of the film, and the only one that they had to cut from apparently, but it's still super disturbing in the final cut is when Judy gets impaled with the curling iron. And yet they don't even show that. You just see kind of the shadow and then there's the implication that she's getting skewered with a hot iron. Um, Yeah. That is just like such a fucked up scene and yet it doesn't show anything. Yeah, that's the most brutal kill. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's the most brutal. Absolutely. And that was one that, again, like it's so subtle because it just captures the shadow on the wall of the kill itself and it's left to your imagination, obviously, that it almost took me like a second to be like, there's no way they're doing that. And then realizing yeah. that's what they actually did. And you're just like, wow, I even implying that that is what is happening. I was, I was taken aback again. Like I'm pretty, I think that I'm pretty desensitized to a lot of things just because of like how uh, over the top gory and gruesome. A lot of modern movies are obviously, mm-hmm. but like that is a super fucking disturbing scene for this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. That's the thing with the kills in this movie too, is that like, it, it seems like he knew with all the other, you know, slashers coming out that he had to really get creative kills once people would remember. Definitely ones people would talk about. Is that curling iron? I don't think there's anything near it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to look at a curling iron the same way after that, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not. I mean, that was one of the things that he said, that the director said in that, he was at, I think he said he went to NYU for film school and he was like, oh, I want to make a movie. What's the easiest thing that type of movie that I can make? And he's like, oh, horror movie, because they don't have to have a crazy, intricate story and everybody cares about the kills. And it's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And he yeah. knew it's just very I feel like a lot of those 80s slashers, people are like, oh, horror movies are easy to make. And then they ignore the core elements of the horror movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And just to see it pay off so well here, I thought was really, really um, satisfying. And it it made a movie that, again, like I said earlier on paper, seems very vanilla. It capitalizes that on a way, in a way that was really satisfying. Yeah, it definitely stands out. For sure. Um, I think, I mean, again, not to keep bringing it back to Friday the 13th, but I mean, the creativity here really can't be undersold. Like, I... For anybody that is into 80s slashers or like trying to get into them, I would say that this should be at the top of their list in terms of like summer camp ones, whether you're going to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially whodunits. Yeah, exactly. For for sure, for whodunits, Um, whether it be alongside something like The Burning or something to that extent, like this is this one really uh, was great. And I mean, one of the things that I thought was actually kind of interesting was that obviously we learn who the killer is at the end and that being Angela, mm-hmm. um, given that she was so young, her mother didn't want her involved in any of those death scenes. So yeah. they actually had um, the actor that played Ricky be the hand stand in for her, for him to oh, do okay. all those different scenes. And I was like thinking about it and I was like, that's the perfect way to ensure that an audience could not guess. Because if you look at the hands, you're like, oh yeah, that's clearly like a guy's hands or yeah. something like that, just because of like they're all veiny or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> And I just thought that that was, again, like a creative way to kind of subvert the audience's expectations. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's Keep get into it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the most important thing for whodunit. And I don't know. I'm of the opinion for whodunits. I don't really care whether they subvert it in a way that you could or couldn't guess. Because mm-hmm. the more shocking the ending, I guess, for me, the more memorable it would be. Yeah, true, true. But uh, you want to get into the twist? Because... This was definitely one of the uh, most shocking endings 
to a slasher I think I've seen considering uh, it's just oh, yeah. so out there. Yeah, it's definitely weird how they 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 portrayed it. I mean, and then I think my my thing is uh, I think the creepiest the creepiest the cre- only really creepy aspect is just the origin story part. So we're like they flash back to when she's a child and it's just like the rotating camera around the bed and like the fact that everything else is just black in the background like and i think that's probably the creepiest part of the film no doubt and it's just 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 definitely weird like i almost kind of want like an aunt martha origin story just to figure out like why this woman is like this no that that nightmare sequence is super disturbing and i think that is more disturbing than the kind of like shock value uh, final shot of the film. It's just like this idea that, again, I think that when you have kids in horror movies, the hor- the most horrifying part is like the adults that manipulate them or they are um, exposing some type of trauma. Like, how fucked up is this adult that she's just like, hey, by the way, I'm changing your gender for you. That's no longer yeah. up to you. Like, to fulfill her own whatever kind of needs, like she wanted to have a daughter all the time or something. But it's yeah. just like, it makes that character Angela so much more sympathetic to the point that it's like, I don't know about you, but like, I didn't even view her really as a bad guy or an antagonist. Cause it's just like, yeah, she suffered this horrific trauma of losing her dad, losing her brother. And then she's adopted by this woman that is like completely out of her fucking mind and kind of yeah. twists, twists her idea of like what her sexuality is. at such a formative age. Like it's a super depressing and, uh, and sympathetic uh, yeah, development definitely. for that character. That's what I really like about uh, Angela. She's like one of my favorite uh, slashers for that reason. Because at the end of it, you know, it's like that what they think is going to be shock value. Really, I'm just like, oh, nice. It's just this little girl kind of just getting revenge on all these bullies. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> yeah. It, well, that's the, another element of the film that I think it really capitalizes on in a way that a lot of these kind of slashers don't. In that, yeah, it's all about the fact that she's being bullied, and it's like. How hard would it have been for one of the counselors to step in and put a stop to that? And then, oh, hey, you don't have a bunch of fucking dead people in your camp isn't going to get closed. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly right. I mean, with, again, I'm making a habit of referring to Friday the 13th, but like with Jason getting killed, his mother is like, oh, I'm going to get revenge for my son being killed. That's not really avoidable because she's nuts herself. But it's like with Angela, she has that traumatic event. She then is adopted into an even more traumatic situation. Well, I don't know about more, but a traumatic situation again. And then there's plenty of opportunities to kind of prevent that. If the counselors had let Ricky stand up for her the way that he should have, and the counselors are allowing her to be bullied, essentially, like none of this would have happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. definitely preventable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that scene, I mean, more so, I think when they're on the beach, that uh, element of the final shot, like, it's not even kind of just like the reveal that like, oh, she's a boy and like you see, and I was surprised by the inclusion of the nudity just because again, in terms of like the 80, an 80s movie kind of just like lingering there and not being a quick cut. That yeah. part kind of surprised me. Um, but I think it's more the fact that she's just like sitting there staring at them and like making this hissing guttural noise and doesn't say anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like croaking. Yeah, like croaking or hissing and it's just like, that was more disturbing to me than just like the kind of shock value. Oh, hey, it's a, it's a boy. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is like j- just that croak. It's like because it's like no, you know, you haven't seen Angela look like that at all. Like now you're seeing like her other side. This is her like twisted personality or whatever. 
which is very weird, very shocking in that sense. Yeah, and I think you're right. I would definitely like a uh, an origin story on that fucked up aunt. Find out like, because I think I think they refer to her as a doctor, and then you find out that she's not actually a doctor. Yeah, or makes something. sense. And it's like, yeah, geez, I wonder why. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of fucked up stories of like malpractice in there or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the this movie too, though. It's like yeah, a lot of people, um, you know, they, they're you know kind of split with this one, especially because of the ending and uh, the you know the the matter of it. But um, a lot of people, like me especially, I love the sequels, like Sleepaway Camp Two, Unhappy Campers, and Sleepaway Camp Three, Teenage Wasteland, are just so good because they they switch it up where it's like you know now you know who the killer is and it's like you know why is she killing and it's mostly like um you know she just wants a fun good camp experience and like like with other like kind of like slashers in a sense it's like these kids off fornicating or doing drugs and you just have her going around like no you can't do that you're supposed to have fun <laughs> that's like about it too though and the, the kills are really creative in those also so that was going to be my next question for you was like are the sequels worth watching and it sounds like they are Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the the woman that plays Angela, uh, it's Pamela Springsteen, which is Bruce Springsteen's sister. Holy and, shit! Which, yeah, which is really interesting, and it's her just like wrecking people. And they have like what <laughs> what I like about it is, um, like I said, with the kills is like uh, it reminds me of like Final Destination, where like with the, each one they had to feel like they had to get more creative, more wild. And, the, you know, the dialogue is there, too. And, like, you know, like the whole campy, like, uh, 80s feel is still there. Because I believe they were, they were made in the late 80s, like, back to back. Like, yeah, they 88, just, like, push those out super fast. Mm -hmm. They're really definitely definitely worth checking out. And uh, But my personal favorite, probably my favorite Sleepaway Camp movie is Return to Sleepaway Camp, the fourth one, when uh, Robert Hiltzik came back. And it's funny because it's, like, he was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to the whole retcon legacy sequel. The fact that he gets like so many people back, like Ronnie and Ricky and other people too, and like to create like kind of this just new sleepaway camp for a new generation, and it's just it's so awesome. Like we should definitely uh, do that one down the line because that that movie I've seen it so many times, and there's so many aspects of it that I love. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, like you said, in retconning, I mean, it ignores the previous two, and mm -hmm. I mean it would. I, I, it makes me want to watch that more because he kind of like gets the band back together as it were yeah, and getting exactly. to see obviously the creator come back but also like having the cast come back too which um, correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure they didn't for two and three right no, it was no, all new no, people yeah all new people completely so yeah we should definitely do that sometime that would uh, that would be awesome but I thought it was really interesting too that they didn't know that this movie had a fandom until like 2000 oh wow like the movie came out and it did well but i guess that the actors and the director were just like so unconnected from i guess horror fandom in general that they just didn't they thought they made a movie that made money and then they kind of like all went their separate ways and yeah. then in 2000 i guess they there was some a guy made a website all about sleepaway camp movies and he like right. reached out and was like hey by the way like we do like festivals and stuff where everybody comes and talks about how much we love you guys. <laughs> Just kind of like the power yeah. of fandom. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Felissa Rose was uh, is actually married to the lead singer of CKY. Because oh, really? uh, I don't know if you uh, yeah if you're ref if you're uh, familiar with that band, but um they they named their band off of uh, like uh, kind of like their love for Sleepaway Camp because like CKY stands for uh, Camp Kill Yourself. And like they were like super hardcore fans of like uh, 
uh, of the whole series and stuff. And it's funny because it's like now the guy is like married to her and like they actually have like a really short cameo in the fourth one. It's pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a weird connection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I love those types of like little tidbits about uh, about the movies and the communities that grow around them and stuff. But yeah, I would yeah. definitely love to have you on again in the future to uh, chat about Return to Sleepaway Camp because this yeah. was a lot of fun. And I mean, this is one of those movies that I think for people that really want to go back and kind of like watch the origin roots of slasher movies, this is definitely one that I think just because of its kind of like vanilla look from the outside gets overlooked a lot because it was definitely one that I don't know I don't know if I would have checked it out if you hadn't recommended it to me and I was really happy when you did because I enjoyed this one a lot yeah yeah for sure definitely a good uh, a good favorite of mine for sure if I uh, bef- in between the time when we get together again sometime to do Return to Sleepaway Camp I'll try to watch uh, 2 and 3 yeah definitely let me check uh, let me let me know what you think of those ones because like I said the, the kills are awesome Pamela Springsteen does such a good job and it's just like it, you know even though it's like uh, different people behind it, it it's still pretty good uh, inclusion to the series awesome well thanks man I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about Sleepaway Camp yeah for sure man if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter